We have two scripture readings for this morning. Uh, The first comes from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3. Would you listen with me for the word of God? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners. To to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To provide for those who mourn in Zion. To give them a garland instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. Our gospel lesson comes from Luke chapter 4. I invite you to stand and body your spirit for the reading of the gospel, and you'll probably notice it sounds very similar to Isaiah 61. When he came to Nazareth, there where he had been brought up, Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Gracious and almighty God, we come today because we want to hear from you. And so open our ears, open our hearts, that these might not just be words spoken, it might be your Holy Spirit speaking to us. For you, O God, are our rock, you are our strength, you are our Redeemer. Amen. Well, this morning we continue in our sermon series, Marks of Methodism where we are exploring the unique features of our United Methodist faith so we can better understand what is this tradition that we are all a part of. Two weeks ago, we began the series by talking about what I think is one of the most important marks of a Methodist, and that is our understanding of grace. If you weren't here two weeks ago, the short recap of that is that United Methodists do not actually believe that grace just happens to us in one moment where we confess our sins and receive forgiveness. That is grace, but that's not all there is to it. Grace is actually a lifelong event from from before we're even born to the moment we die where God's grace showers us that we might belong to Christ, believe in Christ, and become like Christ. Last week, Pastor Maria talked about the importance of community, and she reminded us that we are not meant to do this faith thing alone. In fact, we cannot do it alone. 
The idea of being a community of faith is actually baked into our baptismal covenant where we remember every time there's a baptism, we commit to one another to surround each other with a community of love and forgiveness that we might be nurtured to be disciples who walk in the ways that lead to life. Today at the 11 o'clock service, we will remember this commitment when we celebrate the baptism of Isaac and Lorian Murray, and it'll be beautiful, and it'll be wonderful to remember the ways in which we come together as community. The faith we have is not individual. It is not an individualistic faith. It is meant to be done in community. We have a social faith. But today we turn to a term, social holiness, to remember that the social aspects of our faith are not just about our call to be in community. It is also about our call to attend to the cause of justice and mercy in the world. From the very beginning, the Methodist faith has been one that has had a keen awareness that the good news of Jesus Christ is good news for the world and good news for the poor. If you go all the way back to to the early 19th century when John Wesley was beginning this revival movement in the United Kingdom, you would see how John had a very clear imperative that the people who followed his movement ought to care for the poor. John Wesley did all kinds of things throughout his life. He um, started schools so that children who otherwise would not have a chance to learn could receive an education. He wrote books on medicine because he believed in holistic health and well-being. And people at that time were not really healthy. And so he wrote books to help people achieve a better quality of life. If you find this book, it's called The Primitive Physic. I would caution you, though, don't take a lot of his advice. (laughs) He instilled in his followers that they should give and give generously to the widows, to the orphans, to the most marginalized in society. John would even go so far, he, he did this often, he would ride in the carriage with condemned prisoners as they were on their way to the gallows. He would sit with them and share with them the good news, that they would know that even in the last moments of life that Jesus was there for them and there was good news yet to be heard. John was always reminding his people that the Methodist movement was a missional movement. It was one that cared for the causes of justice. And if you look throughout the history of United Methodism, you'll see that this has been an important part of our ethos all the way through our history. You'll also see that we didn't always do it right, and we often mess up when it comes to the causes of justice and mercy. But this tradition of mission, outreach, and justice, it doesn't actually just begin with John Wesley. It doesn't actually just begin in 19th century England with the Methodist revival. It actually begins with Jesus. That's the most important thing. Our cause for justice begins with Jesus. In our gospel lesson from Luke chapter 4 today, we find Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry. In the first few chapters of 
uh, Luke, the gospel writer, covers a lot of important things. He talks about the birth of Jesus, the baptism of Jesus, and the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. But here in chapter 4, verse 16, if you look in your uh, Bible, the section heading will be the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And this is the very beginning of his time preaching the good news. And the first thing that Jesus does in his ministry is he goes home to Nazareth. Now, many of you might remember that Jesus was born in a town called Bethlehem, but he actually grew up in a town called Nazareth because that's where his father Joseph was from. And so Jesus goes home to Nazareth and he goes to his home church, his home synagogue. And he gets up to the pulpit or the lectern and he reads from the prophet Isaiah. And he finds the specific passage from chapter 61 that we read this morning. And he stands in front of all those gathered and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then after he reads this profound text, he preaches his first sermon, and it's only one sentence long. I wonder how many of us sometimes wish that the sermon was only one sentence long. (laughs) And he simply says, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. And he sits down. And in this simple act of reading scripture, in preaching a one-sentence sermon, Jesus is doing nothing less than, than outlining for us right at the beginning of his ministry why he is there. He's doing nothing less than outlining for us his mission, his purpose, the why for why he has come. It's no mistake that the gospel writer puts this at the very beginning. It's no mistake that Jesus picks the text from Isaiah 61. He's saying this promise from the prophet that has come centuries before is now being fulfilled in me. Jesus is telling us that he has come to bring good news. And that good news is for the poor. A few months ago, we had a staff retreat here at the church. Uh, Us pastors invited Dr. Rose Booker-Jones to come and talk to the staff and the SPPRC team about how to manage um, conflict. Now, if you're not familiar with the term SPPRC, it's good for you to know what that is. So uh, SPPRC actually stands for Staff Pastor Parish Relations Committee. Try saying that five times fast. <laughs> Staff, Pastor, Parish, Relations Committee. It's, it's the group here at the church that kind of acts like the HR team. They're in charge of hiring new staff, uh, taking care of any conflict that might arise between the pastors and the staff and the congregation. Uh, it's comprised of a wonderful team of leaders. And our chairperson, Lisa Schwartz, is actually right here in the pews, uh, if you know who she is. They do important work, and I hope that you will know that they are here for you. One of their main tasks is to be here for you if any conflict arises. So if you have any problems, you can talk to them. 
So, in any case, we were down in the Fellowship Hall a few weeks ago, all the staff and the pastors and the SPPRC, and Dr. Rose Booker-Jones was talking to us about conflict, and one of the most profound lessons that she taught us in that seminar was the importance of remembering your why. Your why. Your why is the reason you do what you do. Your why is that reason, that, that mission, deep down in your gut that gives purpose and mission and meaning to all that you do. It is the thing which motivates you. Your why is the purpose that animates you. It is, in a sense, your own personal mission statement. And it's so easy for us, isn't it, to forget why we do things. We get so caught up in doing, 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 especially here at the church. We get so caught up doing the work of the church. We forget why we're actually here. We forget why we do what we do. The idea of having a why or a personal purpose in life, I feel like is, is pretty common and popular these days. We all, we all want to have a sense that we have a personal mission or, or a personal sense um, of purpose that drives us and gives meaning and coherence to the work that we do. And it's important to remember this why, especially when things get hard, because when things get hard and conflict arises and we lose sense of why we do things, it is remembering our why that can refresh our spirits. Now, you might be thinking about what your why is, what your personal mission might be. I would guess that if we took polls here in the room, we would have about as many Uh, why statements as there are different people in the room. The good news for us today is this, that even though we can forget our why, even though sometimes we may not even know what our why is, it might not be something you think a lot about, and that's okay, Jesus is crystal clear on his why. He outlines it for us here in Luke chapter 4. Jesus has come to bring good news and to bring good news to the poor. He has come to proclaim release to the captives, to liberate the oppressed, to preach a gospel of grace that does nothing less than turn the world upside down. This is why Jesus does what he does. This is why he came to live among us, to bring good news news. And in Jesus' mission statement, we see clearly without any confusion that the good news of God is only good news if it's good for the poor. It's only good if it's good for the oppressed. It is only good if it is good for the marginalized. Now, since this is a series on United Methodism, I would be remiss if I did not mention the mission of the United Methodist Church. If you go to our uh, website, you can see that. You've probably heard it in conversation. But the mission of the United Methodist Church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Now, that's a pretty good why statement, if, if you ask me. It covers all the bases. It's about Jesus, it's about transformation, it's about making disciples, but let us not forget today, as we spend time in Luke chapter 4, 
that we're also meant to be people of justice. We must be people of justice, for our God is a God of justice. Yes, we need to make disciples. Yes, we need to follow Christ. Yes, we need to work to transform the world. And we need to be people of justice. For we must follow Christ to participate in his mission, the mission that he outlines for us here in Luke chapter 4. I want to propose to you that this is actually our why, not just as United Methodists, but as Christians, as people who commit to following Christ. Our why is to follow Jesus and participate in his mission, to shine the light that we bear brightly, to activate our hands in toil and labor that the causes of justice and mercy might flourish in our midst. Our call is to join Jesus in creating a new reality, a new kingdom where the oppressed go free, the captives are liberated, and the poor hear good news. Our call is to join Jesus in creating a new reality where refugees have places to call home, where those who are not welcome at the table hear the invitation to come, to create a reality where racism, sexism, discrimination, and all other forms of injustice that we could name are resisted as a way that we live out our faith. And this is the important part. The mission of Christ does not follow a political agenda. This isn't about Republican or Democratic agendas. This is about a kingdom of God agenda that is outlined for us in Luke chapter 4. It's about Jesus and joining in what Jesus does. So friends, as you ask yourself this morning, what is my why? Don't forget to also ask yourself, how is my life bringing good news to the poor? Don't forget to ask yourself, how is the work that we do here at Aldersgate bringing good news to the oppressed? For friends, if what we do is not good news for the poor, for the oppressed, and the marginalized, we are woefully out of touch with our why. But whenever we join Jesus in the cause of justice we find the presence of God. Wherever justice flows down like a mighty stream, we can be sure God is there. Our invitation, in fact, our call, our mandate, is to go and join Jesus there, to be part of proclaiming the good news. The good news for you, for me, the poor, the oppressed, and the marginalized. May it be so. Amen.